Hey, parents and little adventurers. Ever wondered where hot dogs come from? Dive into a world of wonder with the new children's book about cellular agriculture. Cellular agriculture? What's that? It's the science behind tomorrow's foods. Discover the journey of a family barbecue in a way that's fun, educational, and downright tasty. Grab your copy of Where Do Hot Dogs Come From? on Amazon today. Yum! The future sounds so delicious. Curious for more? Visit www.hotdog.fyi. Happy reading! Thanks for tuning in to the Cultured Meat and Future Food Podcast. This show is for anyone interested in cultured meat and future food technologies. Most people learn about podcasts from their friends, so please, share the link with any friends or colleagues that you think might find this interesting. We're excited to have Dr. Rosie Bosworth as the guest for today's episode. Thanks for tuning in to the Cultured Meat and Future Food Podcast. We're excited to have Dr. Rosie Bosworth as the guest for today's episode. Based between New Zealand and Silicon Valley, Dr. Rosie Bosworth is a global future of foods expert, communications specialist, and venture partner at ERAVC with an appetite for finding ways to improve sustainability and resilience for agricultural and food systems. Rosie's work focuses on the intersection of technologies, science, and biotech on the future of global food production, where she carries specialist insight into alternative protein systems, plant-based proteins, cellular agriculture, synthetic biology, and controlled environment farming. Rosie advises businesses, government, and industry on the future of food and agricultural systems, and is a regular keynote speaker, journalist, and thought leader in future food systems. Rosie holds a PhD from the University of Auckland Business School, specializing in sustainable technology development and environmental innovation for industrial paradigm shifts. She was recently named one of New Zealand's 40 under 40 in the influencer and disruptor category by the University of Auckland and brings over 10 years experience in marketing, communications, and stakeholder engagement with agency experience in New Zealand, Australia, US, and UK markets. Rosie, I'd like to welcome you to the Cultured Meat and Future Food Podcast. Thanks, Alex. It's great to be here. Rosie, you have a great passion for creating a sustainable and scalable food system. What led you in this direction and what projects are you working on today? I guess it started when I graduated from university with a Bachelor of Commerce in Arts and I went to work for a technology company working on communications and marketing and I, I wasn't feeling relatively fulfilled in, I guess, such a mainstream role out of university. So I went on to do some postgraduate work, which morphed into a PhD. And my focus with my PhD was looking at the environment and sustainability from a business context, but but how businesses and industry could really make paradigm-changing shifts in their environmental and sustainability practices whilst remaining relatively competitive. And at the time, a lot of work in that space was focused on clean energy, for example, the shift from fossil fuel to clean energy and ride sharing or the shift away from the um, combustion car engine. I did a lot of work around construction materials. But at the time, I did a lot of my PhD at um, the University of Maastricht. And what was happening there was this whole 
um, I guess, interest in sustainable proteins and looking at protein without the animal or or ways to create a new global protein system without animal agriculture or or in ways that were radically more environmentally friendly and sustainable. And I finished my PhD and I have a huge passion for food and that's started when I, you know, when I came out of my mother, I was just obsessed with food from day one, but nothing really was going on in the food space until, until a couple years after my PhD, I completed that about five years ago, I started just to watch all this technological change happening, particularly in the San Francisco Bay Area, companies like Perfect Day, which were MUFRI at the time, were starting to develop new proteins outside of the animal to develop animal proteins. And it just started to blow up. All of a sudden, I started to see other companies or universities working on such technologies, such as Mosa Meats in the Netherlands, um, which came out of the University of Maastricht. They were the first research institute to develop the world's first lab grown burger and what happened is I just started to really hone in on the space and we just see with the advancements of biotech now it's just it's just blown up and, and I found eventually found my sweet sweet spot in life emerging science t- technology the environment and food so it's it's almost a um a divine intervention one would say great and if you spent some time in the Netherlands I think you probably have an appreciation for the grocery store Albert Heinz, hopefully as much as I do. Have you been to Yeah, yeah that, that place very nice and, and organized. I love it. Yeah. yeah. It's a, shame, a shame I don't have one here in New Zealand or in my second home back in the States. So, right, right. <laughs> we'll get there. You know, what are some of the recent major changes that have occurred in the global food system aside from clean meat? Well, of course, you know, clean meat, clean meat's a massive one. But if we're looking at the meat or the, the protein side of things, you'd also have to say that plant-based protein has become quite a, a huge player in this, this new food revolution. We look at companies such as Impossible Foods or Beyond Meat that are, that are harnessing plant-based proteins and, and really transforming these plant proteins into something quite analogous with with meat, the texture and flavor and, and the all the sensory aspects of that. But we also have a rise in microproteins, fungi or mushroom-based proteins, which are starting to mimic natural proteins or natural animal proteins as well. And, and they're starting to really come to, come to the party there. But if we look outside of alternative proteins. We also have major changes going on in terms of controlled environment farming, in other words, indoor farming, where we are starting to control the environments indoor via technologies to grow horticultural crops, plants, such as lettuce, leafy greens. We can even grow cotton in these environments. We're starting to grow fruit. I know the um, Open Ag Institute out of MIT are growing all sorts of interesting crops in there, including cotton and tobacco, and now starting to grow hazelnut trees indoors. So we're starting to really understand the language of plants inside now through controlled environment farming. What what else is also happening is this revolution in robotics as it pertains to food and agriculture. So we're having a lot of technologies coming into the party that are helping more efficiently harvest plants, grow plants, tend to plants, and that's really enhancing the sustainability and yields and product productivity of crops. We also have a more controversial technology such as CRISPR-Cas9, which is a, a gene editing system, and that's been used to develop all sorts of new drugs, control pests, 
plants and grow food. And what what we're seeing with CRISPR-Cas9 is that is its potential to be used to boost yields or develop drought and de- disease resistance crops. And so, for example, an, ex- an application of CRISPR-Cas9 in the food system would be is the creation of anti-browning mushrooms. And when you don't get anti-browning mushrooms, people are going to keep them longer, use them longer, and therefore less waste and all sorts. So, yeah, so there's a, there's a ton of technologies and changes coming to the food and agricultural system, and it's all, it's all really exciting. We've been hearing a lot more about controlled environment farming. Uh, can you tell us what this is at a very basic level and why it's so important that we need to do this? Controlled environment farming is essentially a combination of technologies coming together to monitor the quality and the growth and all the aspects of horticultural and plant production indoors. This involves technologies such as LED lighting, sensors, humidity control, closed nutrient recycling systems, cameras and and all sorts of sensors that enable us to essentially grow crops indoors, but at a much more sustainable level because we can grow crops upwards. Controlling the systems indoors means that we have a much less water-intensive system. We have less pesticides being used. We have a greater output because we are able to control the consistency of those crops. We can essentially ensure that we are growing crops to the right conditions, to the right temperatures, and, and that just makes for not only a more higher quality crop, but also more consistent supply. And we can do this right on the fringes of our city. So it's a, it's a huge um, game changer in terms of bringing crops in close to the masses, potentially at a fraction of the environmental inputs required. And do you know of any countries or even major cities that are leading the efforts in this space? I think I've heard for example, a couple of these operations going on in Japan, but is there a particular city or country that's doing this really well? I know that the Netherlands are starting to really focus in on this, and it's those high-density population areas such as the Netherlands or as, as a seminar yesterday, and the lady that was all around investing into Hong Kong, and she said that in, indoor farming is becoming huge because Hong Kong is just so heavily populated and it's such a tiny, tiny area. The size of Hong Kong is the size of my city, my home city, Auckland, but it has, I think, about 10 times as many people within a fraction of the size because she was saying that even 70% of Hong Kong is actually parkland. So uh, there are countries, particularly those that are areas that are really densely populated or that that don't come with copious amounts of water or natural resources, resources such as New Zealand, um, are those that really are looking at this, the Middle East, Asia. But we also see a lot of this going on in the States now. And I think a lot of the leading companies that are paving the way in controlled environment farming are actually coming out of the United States. Um, they, they were originally coming out of Japan, as you said, or, or other parts of Asia. But we have aero farms that develop these 12-story high facilities um, using closed-loop nutrient recycling systems that they claim to use around 95% less water. The the environments are completely automated for optimal growth in terms of the humidity, the temperature, CO2, the pH levels, and the irrigation. And they've got hundreds of thousands of sensors, but it's not just aero farms that's doing that. There's um, a country um, near your hometown in the Bay Area called Plenty, and they also developing these 20-foot high vertical walls um, or growing towers. And they claim that um, through these growing towers that you can get around a 
530 times greater greater yield than field farming. And you can also command the prices of organic vegetables when you're uh, when you're not spraying them full of pesticides or, or using all those harmful inputs that conventional agriculture often is often associated with. Like you mentioned, there have been some startups using robotics for farming. Somewhat, at least what I've seen, it's like somewhat of a 3D printer or CNC machine for agriculture, among other things. Do you think that the future of agriculture will be completely automated? Um, That's an interesting question. I think that there is a high likelihood that field agriculture could become completely automated. There's a a couple of reasons why, and we're already seeing it in the United States that less and less we're having labor shortages and less and less people are actually wanting to work on the land. It's a hard job. It doesn't pay well, and it's really intensive on the body. So we're having labor shortages and having to bring in people from other countries to, to do jobs or pick crops and all sorts that aren't particularly attractive job options for many. And that's where robotics can come in and really help come to the party, particularly from a harvesting perspective. But we also see companies that are starting to really automate not only the harvesting aspect of crop production or horticultural production, but also manage and treat these plants too. So you have Blue River technologies that are it's almost they using these sensors in real time and they're able to not only treat the plants, but they can examine the health of the plants and decide which plants are, are going to be treated with a little bit of, I don't know what it might be, pesticide, it might be something organic, but a treatment, they water them and they, they give them their, their own, each little plant in real time and tons and tons at, at any given moment, their own treatment. And that that totally changes the game because it means we can tend to cr- huge acreages of, of crops in a much more efficiently and time-efficient manner than, than having, you know, Joe Bloggs go out on his tractor or a whole bunch of, a whole bunch of farmers um, treat and examine plants. And we also are able to keep that information. It gets loaded into the cloud. We can examine the health of the plants all at once. So we can start to track for what's happening with the quality of plants, the soil quality, the health, the output, the water intensity, um, and the resource use and all sorts. So in that respect, I do see a point in time where if we can really hone those technologies and, and master them, that a lot of that plant order, plant growth will out in the outdoor environment will be automated, yes. There's been a lot of recent tech investor focus on new methods of agriculture. Uh, at least it seems like this is something that somewhat recently has uh, grown to be. What do you think has sparked uh, this recent interest in tech investors getting into the agriculture space? I think a couple of things have started to drive that. Firstly, we just look at how far behind agriculture has been at coming to the, I guess, the technological party for years and years. Whilst we've been using iPhones or on the internet, we've still been growing food in the same ways for, for centuries. So there's huge opportunities there with investors to look at this multi-trillion dollar food market or f- f- in terms of food and agriculture and go, right, um, this this market is definitely ripe for automation. It's ripe for innovation and progress. And there's so many ways that technology can benefit the food system from a sustainability point of view, from a health point of view, 
from efficiency, um, environmental, and also when we look at clean meat or plant-based protein from an ethical point of view. So there's a, a myriad of ways that we that can be that the food system can be transformed, and and it just makes it an incredibly attractive option for investors since we're really coming in at the, at the at the low end and there's you know the world is our oyster in terms of what can happen now in the food system and a, a colleague of mine who um who's the ceo of robotics plus here in new zealand and they do all sorts of kiwi fruit harvesting and apple um, apple sorting and harvesting amongst a, a ton of other amazing things in the food system and he was saying um he made this interesting analogy it's like well yeah, we've been using smartphones for how long now and all sorts. And the way that we pick strawberries and berries and all sorts, it's almost like we could rewind the clock and that same technology, the same way we were harvesting fruit and vegetables um, was going on when I was, you know, in the 1950s watching a black and white TV. So you can just see how how um, how far the rest of the world has gone and how little food and agriculture has progressed from that technological perspective. Let's switch the focus back to clean meat. Uh, the first lab-grown meat sample, which was created by Dr. Post and his team back in 2013, had a price tag of over $300,000. Uh, how has the cost of development changed since then, and when do you think it might be cost competitive? And on a side note to that, uh, and we had mentioned plant-based meats earlier, uh, do you think that plant-based meats have a marketing advantage over uh, clean meats as the production costs uh, are lower? When we look at the price of lab-grown meat, and everyone balks at this 300 US dollar you know, burger price tag, but costs have come down considerably since that first burger was produced by Dr. Post's team in Maastricht. And they are, they're, they're still currently high, but a pound of Memphis meat, cellular agriculturally grown meat, takes now um, a, purportedly around about $2,400 a pound a pound to produce and so that's that's exponentially cheaper than the three hundred thousand dollars which was only a few years ago right and and we see the prices due to the um the cost of the medium that that we need to grow and culture cells but memphis meats aims to reduce their price per pound to under five dollars and that's in the next they i mean of course i wouldn't say wishful thinkers but it's very optimistic but they they do um, have the goal to do this within the next, say, five years or or whatnot, um, all going well with it being able to scale up with the technology. Um, and so, you know, of course, we no one wants to pay for a $600 quarter pounder, but there's also another um, company out of Israel called Future Meat Technology, and they, aimed, they, they aim to have their um, cultured meat coming in at around $5 a kilogram, which is around $2.20 a pound or something like that. So as we can see, it's, it's definitely dropping. And as as we progress with the technology, as we start to find the right partners to help help the food, the clean meat system scale, then those, those costs are going to continue to tumble. And so I do think it's very feasible that this will um, become price competitive within around five I mean, I'm optimistic because I'm I'm very um, pro a clean meat system. But uh, you know, five to ten years, I would say that these 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 prices are going to be obtainable for for much of the masses. When we think about the question as to whether plant-based meats have an advantage over lab-grown meat, 
I think in many ways, yes, they do. Um, because there's a whole stigma around lab-grown meat. Look, look, look at the word I just called it. And, you know, I'm an advocate for the system, and I, I typically call it cellular agriculture or clean meat. But the general um, Joe Blog and the public calls it lab-grown meat, and that comes with a, a an ick factor. And it, it, it almost um, – anything that's not grown out of the cow or, you know, the beast at the moment – one one automatically considers um, the alternative as unnatural. Oh, if it didn't come from an animal, it must be unnatural. It must be laden with chemicals. And, and some people I was talking to the other day just keep referring to clean meat as, as GE meat. And I had to, you know, politely explain that, no, there's, there's no GE involved in clean meat. Um, in fact, when we look at today's system, we, we see just how, I guess, unnatural that's become. So... We, we have those debates that do, do come to the table around how just how natural clean meat is and, and whether or not consumers are going to want to eat them or not. Um, and so back to the question around plant-based meats and whether or not they have an advantage, um, sure, because plants are natural. People people can understand the concept of eating something that's come from the ground. It's it's, it's a healthy product and and they, they like to rally behind something that, that is natural and, and it hasn't been, I guess, quote, unquote, tampered with science and biotech and all sorts. And not only that, I think we already have plant-based proteins on the market and they're already starting to gain consumer acceptance and traction and, and people are loving them already. So there's a couple of a couple of reasons why they've got that advantage. We, we can already start to buy them, eat them, and accept them. And it's going to be a long time before lab-grown meat reaches the market at a price that is competitive to existing meats and even plant-based proteins. What are some of the companies or startups, either in New Zealand or other parts of the world, that our listeners should watch out for in the future? It really depends on what kind of companies. So if we're looking at clean meat or cellular agriculture companies, we've got um, our favorites such as Memphis Meats that are creating cultured duck, chicken, and beef. But we also have um, Hampton Creek, which is now called Just, who have um, just recently released a, a duck chorizo sausage. A friend of mine just sent me a picture of it um, the other day, and that looked really exciting. So those are two San Francisco outfits. Um, in Israel, we have an incredible company called LF Farms, A-L-E-P-H, uh, LF, and they are actually going beyond making muscle and fat um, cells, but to really starting to create, well, their aims to create an, a, an actual steak. So we get the whole steak experience. So right now they're, they're looking at um, recreating muscle cells, fat cells, connective tissues and, and blood vessels and, and growing these all together so that we have much more of a a steak-like experience with our product. And they, they actually have a prototype coming out to market this year, which will be really interesting. And then we also have um, a company called Wild Earth that are developing a koji-based protein or the culturing, a culturing koji-based protein. And they're also are looking at how to do clean meat, um, clean mouth, I should say, because they sort of thought that they're coming at it from a pet food angle. And so they started to think, well, what do cats like to eat? And cats like mice, you know, <laughs> you know, there's always the, um, the typical TV, TV cartoon that's got right. the, the cat 
the cat chasing the mice. And they're like, well, why not culture mice then for these cats? So, um, so they're doing some really interesting stuff there, um, both from a fungi perspective, but also cultured meat. If we look at new food technologies that are coming on the market or that are already on the market in terms of uh, plant-based proteins, we've got the our favourites such as Impossible Foods that are, are making fantastic burger meat burger substitutes um, using a combination of plants but using biotech um, to make those burgers bleed. Um, I think most of us, or probably most of us who are listening to this podcast know about Impossible Foods, but they they are... They've recreated heme, which is a molecule found in animals, animal blood, but also it's able they're able to culture that using soy root nodules, and that gives the the, the plant protein this drippy, bloody like tasting consistency. So we actually think that we're biting into it like a real burger. It's got that nice iron, iron salty taste kind of thing. And then you've got Beyond Meat. And in New Zealand's own sun-fed meats, which is making chickenless chicken out of pea protein. I had some the other day. I eat it, I eat it quite regularly when I'm back in New Zealand. And they're, they're doing incredible things. And we also have some fantastic companies in New Zealand from a robotics or from a controlled environment farming perspective. Biolumic has developed a world-first um, system using ultraviolet or U, um, UV lighting on crops. And that enables them to produce better quality crops and also um, they're much more drought and disease resistant. So they've really started to play around with crops from a lighting perspective. And then we have a company called Robotics Plus that are doing incredible things in robotics for harvesting and packing fruit and vegetables. They they have kiwi fruit harvesters and apple packers and all sorts. So there's there's a ton on the market right now. I mean I could list yeah, I could give you a list of a hundred that I love, but for the for the sake of brevity, I think I'll 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 cut it short. But absolutely, um, Aleph Farms, Memphis Meats, Impossible Foods, Finless Foods in the States, just uh, the list goes on. We have a question from one of our listeners. Uh, Rob is a vegetable farmer in Hollister, California, and he asks, "Is there a future for small organic farms?" I would say absolutely. The world is transitioning towards plant-based proteins, towards plant-based diet, towards veganism and flexitarianism where we're reducing the um, our intake of animal of animal proteins and organic farming, um, particularly horticulture is is going to be a, an absolutely necessary part of the food equation. And not only that, organic is is a growing category in itself. And so there's definitely um, room for him in the market. There's, uh, there's probably room for him to scale up his operations um, in terms of how he either produces leafy crops for people, but also in terms of how he could start to play in the plant-based protein sector as to being a, a supplier of some really high-value plant-based proteins that the, the new food system is going to need. And at the moment, we are only scratching the surface of what type of plant pr- plant-based proteins can be used in our new future alternative protein system. Um, we typically use soy, wheat, potato, pea protein, but that's just the beginning of a very 
very big and new food revolution when it comes to plants and their role in the food system. So he definitely, I would say, is a, is a safe bet and he, had, he does, doesn't have anything to worry about so long as he really values the integrity of the land, the sustainability of it, and, and really finds his point of difference with his organic, um, organic farming techniques. Rosie, what can we expect to see from you in the near future? Right now, I am what we say in New Zealand, head down, bum up um, on a bunch of different projects. Um, I will be attending a couple of conferences later in the year. Um, one will be the Good Food Institute conference that's happening in September. And there will be one later in the year run by Google, a cultured, a cultured meat conference. However, my focus right now is really on the plant-based protein space and also clean meat and cellular agriculture advocacy. So I have a little um, plant-based protein company in the making, so that will probably be launched in the next six to ten, ten months, all going well with the science, so watch this space. But also I will continue to work alongside the Cellular Agriculture Society, which I advise to at the moment in terms of a lot of global advocacy, local advocacy around the Asia-Pacific region, giving talks and promoting cellular agriculture at a much, um, a much more mainstream scale. You can get in touch with Rosie on Twitter at Rosie Bosworth or by visiting her website at rosiebosworth.com where you can see her blog posts and stay in tune to Industry Insights. Rosie, do you have any last insights for our listeners today? Perhaps just be open-minded to this new food system and uh, the, the wave of plant-based proteins is, is not one to be dismissed, nor is the exciting arrival of clean meat. Um, embrace it and really, really look at it with, um, with passion and just how well it's, it's going to serve our, our global food system. Rosie, thank you so much for being with us today and sharing your story on the Cultured Meat and Future Food podcast. Thanks, Alex. It was a pleasure to be here. This is your host, Alex, and we look forward to being with you for our next episode. <laughs>